Wow. Um, if you've got your Bibles this morning, the first session, I'm going to be in the foundation of uh, this, what we've themed this conf- conference around. I'm going to be in Nehemiah for a bit. Um, Jeff is my guy for David. Anything to do with David, he is all over it. Uh, he's written many, a, a couple of books that center around David, the Cave Time book, which you're going to see and hear about a bit later on. Is we've got loads of merchandise of those guys, but one of Jeff's books, the Cave Time book, centers around David, this amazing story of the Cave of Adullam. And he'll going to go into a lot more detail about it than I will because it's just amazing. Um, but Nehemiah is my guy. There's something about this guy. Uh, and there's something about the verse that we've themed this conference around. It's Nehemiah 4, 14. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Fight. So we're going to pick a few fights. And we're going to fight for our families. We're going to fight for our marriages. We're going to fight for our children. We're going to fight for our church. We're going to fight for our nation, for the land that God has given to us as his church. And we're going to start off in Nehemiah 1. I'm going to give you a quick history lesson as best as I can. I'm not the expert. Jeff is the good professor. He can detail this stuff all out better than I can. But allow me to give you the, the context and the background of this. We have a guy who is a glorified butler. He's the cupbearer of the king. He is in a foreign land. He is an immigrant. He's a thousand miles from home. He has known known nothing but slavery and captivity. And through hard work and dedication, he rises to a point in his career where he has the king's life in his very hands every single day. Every meal he gives him, every drink, he takes a sip first just to make sure that it's all okay. It's not a bad job. (laughs) It's nice. He gets a nice drunk glass of wine. If it's not, he dies. <laughs> Bring in the next guy. <laughs> and we, oh, we hear about this guy um, in the very first chapter of uh, Nehemiah. And in the first few verses, something significant happens in his life. Um, in, chapter, in verse 2, we hear about Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other man who had just arrived from Judah. I asked him about the Jews who'd returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well. For those who return to the province of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to God of heaven. And I want you to capture what happens in this moment. This is a guy in his normal nine-to-five job. And it just so happens in that moment, some, some news that he gets about a situation, his homeland, his pride, his joy, and it just breaks him. 
A guy in his nine to five. I don't know what your nine to five looks like. I know a lot of guys who pray that their nine to five would change. I know a couple. Of, I know some guys who are who are wishing that they could get a new job, they could move on to something else. But there's something and a blessing that God gives us whenever we have somewhere to go to called work, and we get to walk into that, and we have an opportunity, we have a choice to walk into that, whether we choose to walk into that and see that that God has actually maybe put you there for a purpose and a calling, that it's not just a paycheck, that it's not just there to collect a wage, but just maybe, just maybe he's putting you there to be his hands, his feet for the kingdom of God. And sometimes we look at that, I've been through that my whole life. I was a, you can save the booze for later, I was a tax man for 12 years. I was the slightly taller, fatter version of Zacchaeus. And um, I was the guy who done your tax returns. And I can remember going, leaving school, just bypassed university. My dad was like, son, you get a job in the civil service, you've got a job for life. You get the good pension, life's all good. Just wrecked your heart, really did, when you think about it. Um, but the first day, I was 17, uh, and the civil service was great. I was doing some ministry stuff back then with youth and church and Flexible working hours was great. Anybody still do flexi working hours? Praise God for flexi. It's fantastic. But literally, within the first few hours of me walking into my first job, I get told, right, this is where you sit. This is where the toilets are. This is where the canteen is, blah, blah, blah. This is the way the system works. And then all of a sudden, somebody leaves, and you're left to shadow someone. And then all of a sudden, as soon as you meet that guy, straight away, he's like, hey, kid. Let me show you how you fiddle your flexi sheet. <laughs> Here's how you work up a day off a week or a month. <clears throat> and immediately you can, you, you're, you're, you're that contrast of, hold on a wee second here. Then you realize the managers are doing it. <laughs> the senior managers are doing it. Everybody's doing it. And you've got a choice to make. Do you take a stand over a simple, small, wee thing? A couple of minutes here. 20 minutes there, an hour here, all builds up to seven hours, 24, and you get a day off. Or you take a stand in your nine to five and you go, hold on a wee second, I'm going to honor what I've been called to do here by God. This isn't just my employer who I'm working for. I'm here as a representative of, of my king. And here's Nehemiah who rises to the ranks of a butler to the king. Something breaks him. We've been through a bit of a, a crazy journey as a ministry. Um, over the last couple of years, we um, amicably, amazingly, with uh, amazing honor and integrity, broke away from our, our guys in the mainland. Well, this is the mainland, across the pond there. and That small little land that's known as England, Scotland, and Wales. And we just felt that the stuff that we were doing, it was got to the point where we were just, we were having to ask permission to sneeze every five minutes, and they were doing some stuff we knew wasn't going to work here, and we were wanting to do stuff, and we just had a real honest conversation, and I'm laying it on the line for you guys this morning so you know, you know where we're at and where we're coming from as a ministry, um, and we just had that real, God just wrecked us. Was that Nehemiah moment where it was like, like, this is going to be a hard slog here, guys. But are the men of Ireland worth it? That's what it felt like being 
constantly coming up again are the men of Ireland worth it? And we went through a lot of soul searching, if I'm being honest. At times it was as if the guys who were with me uh, and have been with me from the beginning of this new setup, we have asked ourselves time and time again, is God in this what we're doing and is there a need to do it? That's what we asked ourselves because we went through some crazy battles and some crazy fights to get to this point. And let me tell you what we looked at. We said, asked ourselves a few three key questions. Number one, is God still in it? And we do believe that he is. Number two, we asked, uh, is there anybody else out there who does it better than what we do? That there's no need for us to try and do, try and reinvent the wheel or try and do it different in Ireland. And we looked and we couldn't see anyone. Then we asked ourselves, is there still a need to reach men? Is there still a need to disciple men? So I'm going to give you a few quick statistics just to try and give you a bit of the lay of the land of where we're at at the moment. Some of you may have seen a few of them before. Some of them have been updated, so stick with me. But whenever I show you some of these, I, I'm being honest, this is, I'm praying that God's going to wreck you. Like he did Nehemiah. That whenever you see this, you realize... There is such a need for us to reach our mates, our work colleagues, our neighbors, our brothers-in-law, our fathers-in-law, that crazy uncle that you've got. There's still a need. We need to reach them all. So here we go. Number one, Andy, we've got a few wee technical issues this morning. So uh, Andy, how's it going? You all right? He's a legend, but he's stuck back there. We couldn't get him back there this morning. Um, number one. This is a survey the BBC did in Scotland a number of years ago where they asked 400 guys in the middle of the street of Edinburgh. They said, what's the first opinion that comes into your head whenever you think about the church? And the cleaned up version that came back when they filtered a lot of it was that the church is irrelevant, it's for wimps, and it's only for women. We've done our own uh, survey ourselves. We paid a little bit of money with CVM uh, across the water. Uh, we asked about 4,000 guys in Birmingham. We asked them, what would you like, least like to spend the day doing? We asked multiple choice, so it was quite easy for us guys. It was like a day in the dentist chair, or a day with the tax inspector. You know, they're great, aren't they? Um, uh, whatever it might be. And what came back was actually quite funny, but quite startling. And it's this one that more men feel comfortable shopping for women's underwear than what they do for being in a church building. Because there's about a stigma about church for men. And if um, any of you have ever been to a funeral of someone in your community, I've done one or two of them myself, and there's someone in the community who hasn't got a faith, but they come to the local church and they ask to be buried, I guarantee you, all the men, they will stay outside the church until they hear the singing start. And as soon as they hear the singing start, they rush all in. And as soon as it's all over, they rush all out. Because there's something wrong with the way we're communicating as a church to men. Um, some of the most recent stuff has came up uh, far away there, Andy, is this equation that the church is drastically heading towards one guy for every two girls in the church 
across the whole of the UK and Ireland um, for up to 2.4 million women. Marriage to a Christian guy is not possible at this moment in time, which is meaning they're ever actually having to embrace singleness or marry someone who isn't a Christian. The next one, Andy, is for the children there, and this has a massive knock-on effect. This is the UK. This is came in 2017. We are now number one in the world for breakups and children, three out of five children having to go through uh, their parents separating before they're the age of 16. We are now number one in the world. In America, it's half of children. In Spain, it's one out of 16. Kids who don't live with mom and dad. Kids who are having to make a decision at young ages. Where do we go? What do we do? Fathers who are walking out on their children and their wives, thinking they can get something better on the other side. They don't realize the lies that they're wrecking. We've got to fight for our marriages. The next one gives you an idea. It's quite hard to see with that font. This one came in 2015 from the Cambridge Marriage Foundation about parents who are choose to either marry before they have children, choose to marry after they have had children, or choose not to marry at all. And this is the breakup rates of what happens. It's 24% of parents will split up before the, the child is 16 years of age and does their GCSEs if they marry before they have children and do it the godly way and do it the way we know it, the Bible teaches us to do it. For parents who don't do that and decide to get married after the children, 56% of the time they're splitting up. If they're choosing not to marry but just have children, 69, 70%, you may as well say, of couples are breaking up Men walking away from their families. Wives walking away from their families before their children are 16. Go ahead, Andy. This one has came from our amazing UK government. This is the knock-on effect of what happens whenever we don't have fathers in their homes, being fathers to their children more likely to run away, more likely to have behavioral disorders, more likely to end up in prison, more likely to end up commit suicide, more likely to end up being addicted to things. Now, forgive me for, I might sound as this simple, but if you wanted to eradicate human trafficking in the world today, is it not true then that we need to reach more men for Jesus because it's in the heart of man which is hell-bent towards treating women sexually and with proper, as a piece of meat and a property that we need to change the heart of men and rescue these amazing, humbly amazing girls out of trafficking and slavery. But we need to change the heart of men or we're never going to break the cycle. Am I, is that? Yeah? Okay, you've got me. So if we wanted to stop, um, see our prisons being emptied, which are the 90-odd percent of them are mainly populated by men, who've committed violent crimes. The majority of them are coming from homes that don't have fathers, by the way. Is it not that we go after the men in our society, and our country, to try and say, right, we're going to change our country by having better men, therefore we have better homes, we have better uh, kids in our schools, there's no truancy, there's no 
antisocial behavior because fathers know and look after their kids and believe in their kids. Dads never give up. The heart of a father never gives up on their child. And yet, we have so many children in homeless situations that we need the church to mobilize. We need you men to mobilize in the adoption and the, and the fostering and the uh, father in your community, father in the kids in your church. Letting them know that you believe in them. I want to put my kids around men who are going to echo what I say because sometimes they need to hear it from the same words but in a different accent <laughs> or from a different mouth. And we need that in our churches. Our churches are full, um, rightly or wrongly, of the girls stepping up to the plate when it comes to the crash. Or the kids' work. Back in my day, like, I'm not, I'm two years off coming 40. Back in my day, there was always that old guard in the corner of the room. The old general who said nothing. But you knew he was there, and you could not get away with anything. And what was he doing? He's just being a dad, this. Just looking out for us. You tripped, you fell over, he picked you up and says, come on, son, keep going. You messed up, give you a stern talking to. He says, get back on your feet, don't do that again. We need those in the church. We need more of them. Go ahead, Andy. This is where... I get wrecked. The um, professor that many people may have heard of, Jordan Peterson, uh, from Canada, has become all of a sudden one of these leaders of men that young men are flocking in their tens of thousands across the world to hear. I uh, listened to one uh, an interview he'd done on uh, Radio 5 Live a few months ago, and they put this question to him about why are young men coming to hear him? And they put this question to him about the suicide rate of men, in particular young men. And he breaks down crying. This guy has no faith. He uses the Bible and the teachings of the Bible to find a lot of his thinking and philosophy and his teaching. And he said he's actually, he's actually started to read about the life of Jesus. And I want to be praying for him and he finds him quickly. But in this radio interview, he breaks and just cries for young men who are coming to him. He's like, they're coming to me. And I'm just teaching them. Clean your room. Work hard. Tell the truth. Value yourself. Value others around you. And work hard. That's all he's telling them. And we have got so much more as the church to offer young men in our society. And I, an identity as sons of the king. A savior who takes away every single piece of sin in their life and gives them a new life. And we need to get out as men and reach those young guys. We need to give them a purpose. Let God bring them into the, his identity and release them into the visions and callings that he's got on their life. This cannot happen anymore. You may ask, Spud, why do you bring a Ferrari to your conference? Why do you put a golf driving range, which looks like it's a meeting area, 
Brethren, Tenth Area, Gospel Crusade going on over there in the corner. Do you want to know why? We want you to have a laugh. Seriously. I want to have a belly laugh with you guys today. I want, to, I want you to be able to talk about the real issues and problems that you're facing in your life that God can step in and heal and restore and break through and break out in every situation in your life. And if you do it standing over the bonnet of a Ferrari or a Skoda Fabia, <laughs> so be it. If that helps. You have to look at a car and go, wow, check that out. Isn't that great? Wow, wasn't that amazing? Mate, can I talk to you about something? I'm just really struggling. I'll, I'll bring whatever I can. Because if it helps you guys get past this mask that we wear, I'm the professional mask wearer. Say to me, Spot, how you doing? And I don't know who you are, and I'm a bit nervous or whatever. I'm doing grand. Life's great. We're inside. I could, everything within me could be breaking. And we're all like that. And we all need to, sometimes, today I'm giving you permission to get over yourself. Drop the mask, to be real, and encounter Jesus. But not only that, realize that the guys beside you are not your enemy. They're your brothers, and they're your brothers in arms. Because you might see this as a gathering of men. I see this, and I think God sees this as an army of men. Prime for battle. And when you're put for, you step foot onto the battlefield, your brother becomes your ally, your support. He has your back. And we are the only army in the world, in the history of the world ever, period, that shoots our wounded and leaves them land on the battlefield. And as God's army, we need to get over that. We need to repent of that, and we need to go after it hard, strong, and fight. Because this is a battle that's worth fighting. Because whenever Nehemiah prayed that prayer, that God would break him, that God would just do, he just got on his knees. Months later, not days later, this was in the autumn, whenever he first hears about the walls being broken, in the spring of the following year, he's in front of his king. He's doing his nine-to-five job again. He's serving with that kingdom mentality heart. And God gives him an opportunity where the king asks him, what's going on with you, Nehemiah? This is a foreign king. Nehemiah tells him, how can I not be sad? My city lies in ruins. Its walls destroyed as rubble. Her gates burned in a fire. How can I not be sad? And then something incredible happens. The king gives him everything he needs. Okay? So we all know the walls get rebuilt in 52 days. Right? But sometimes we forget that it's the enemy pagan king that actually pays for it. Because Nehemiah has that much favor with him in his normal nine-to-five job. 
And all of a sudden, he sends him on his way with all these letters, with all these men, with all this protection to go and, and sort out what he wants to do in his life. And he takes some time to survey the walls and he brings all the people together and he tells them, this is how we're going to do it and this is how it's going to start and this is the strategy that we're going to do it. Do you know how long the walls were that they rebuilt in 52 days from piles of rubble? Two and a half miles long. Do you know how high they are on average? 40 feet tall. 12 and a half meters. Do you know how thick and the depth of them on average? Two and a half meters. In 52 days. And they change a nation. And this is worth fighting for. Andy, go ahead with that next slide. We have a massive need for discipleship and evangelism to men here in Ireland. In every single church. Every single church. And we, as a ministry, we exist to try and help and support and nurture and kickstart that and figure out how we do that together. Wherever you are on the island of Ireland, that's our goal, that's our mission. And why is that worth, worth fighting for? Andy, go ahead with the next one. This is the father effect. Some of you have seen this. Andy, hit the next uh, transition there. What happens when kids come to faith? We, you, some of you have seen this, but I want this again to wreck you even more. Three and a half percent of the time, the kid comes to faith, the rest of the family follow. The wife comes to faith, the rest of the family follow 17% of the time. But when the dads come to faith, when you get the guy, we get the family. That's why it's worth the fight. That's why it's worth the battle. That's why it's worth the pain and the rebuke. We fight for men. We fight for their families. But we can't just do the normal things in doing this. Kick on again there, Andy. This is our new vision. This is the reason why we breathe. This is the reason why we exist. This is the reason why we have called you here today and we'll call you here or somewhere else like this every year, wherever we go. Is to reach men, to connect them to Jesus and to equip them to live, not as ordinary men, but as men of the kingdom. Every man, every day, everywhere we go. Not just on Sundays, by ticking a box that you've been at church. Not just by volunteering once and never again, but every single day of our life, in every situation that we come across, we give it our all. We give it our best. We're representing our king and his kingdom. And we've got to figure out better ways of doing it. Some of you have maybe uh, heard me describe this before, but for those of you who haven't, let me explain. The way to reach men who don't know Jesus at all is time-consuming. I am a Elam minister. I'm ordained. I'm proud to be. I believe in the Holy Spirit transforming and changing lives like that. But with men, it takes a long time. 
And how God can show up and Holy Spirit can show up and do it like that. And I pray for that all the time. But the likelihood is the majority of the time, you're looking on an average of a five-year period from the moment a guy hears the gospel for the first time. That's came from the Billy Graham Association. That's on average. Some guys, it could be 10 years. Some guys, it could be 10 days. And the way we need to look at it is, the way I try to describe it is, is this. If you've got um, Bob number two here, this is Bob, the transformed, the living for Jesus. He's every man, every day, everywhere. This is his mission. Great dad, great husband, serves in his local church. Just a man for the king and the kingdom uh, here. But we've got Bob number one. This is him <laughs> way before all of that. This is him. He lives for himself. He lives for the Ferraris in his life that he can try and go for. He lives for the next thing he can uh, occupy himself with, the next girl, the next whatever he can get, the next job. It's all about him. He's the king of his own life. So how do we go and we, how do we reach him? Because as the church, um, this is probably where the seeker-friendly service starts, the seeker-friendly model People searching to do, looking to realize there's something missing in their life, so they come searching for it. It's probably in this sphere here. But Bob's way over there. He's living for the weekend. He's living for the golf. He's living for the football, whatever he can do with his life. So we need to figure out how we get alongside him. Bob isn't just going to come and walk into our Alpha course and sit about and talk about his porn addiction with Ethel from the church choir there. That will not happen. we got to go on a journey. We have to go as the church. It's funny. There's somewhere in the Bible where it talks about us to go in the, all the world, to go to the Bobs, to go to the Andrews, to go to the Billies, whoever it is in your life, and just get alongside them. Invite them to do something. And I, and I try, to help, we try to help as many men's groups as possible, and I... We try to encourage a four-level strategy that you keep going over and over and over again. Uh, the number one thing is you just never give up on these guys. They'll come to one thing, and you mightn't see them again for another two, three years. That's okay. You keep in with them. You hang in with them because whenever life gets tough, you know who they're coming to ask to pray for you. When they get into trouble, they know, oh, man, who can I talk to? But the thing is, whenever we do a football competition in your church, or you show a game, or you go and do something exciting, because that stuff's all cool, that stuff's all good, I think, I, I think that works. You can't just turn around and do an epilogue at the end of it, and do an altar call, and bring out the cross, and say, kneel at the cross. Everyone's sweating after a game of football. We've got to allow time for friendships and trust to settle in. Because we're skeptical. We're opinionated. We are experts on everything. I guarantee you this. You're bound to hear someone today who's a Manchester United fan tell you how they can run their club better than the guy who's won the Champions League I don't know how many times. Because they know. They're experts. And we're opinionated. So we've got to allow these guys in our lives just to get alongside them. Put a stone in their shoe. Give them stuff away free at a church. You invite them for a breakfast. And if you're going to do a breakfast, please make sure it's absolutely amazingly worth getting out of bed early on a Saturday morning for. It has to be more than that. A 
I'm being honest, please hear my heart because we want it to work. But give it away. And just annoy him a little bit every now and again. Because here's the thing. See if you invite him to, I don't know, I know one of our groups uh, a couple of years ago done a, a screening of Hacksaw Ridge in the Odyssey, the high right one of the cinemas. What a movie. Wow. And they brought, they just opened it up and all these unsafe guys come to it and they all think, yes, brilliant, we've got them. But here's what you need to understand. See the very fact these guys who are experts in everything and opinionated and have an opinion in this, opinion in that, see the very fact that they come to a Christian-run event by the local church. That in itself speaks volumes. That is like, wow, hello. Because here's the thing. Your phone goes now, you see a withheld number, you pick up the phone, you hear the big long pause before they're transferring you to Mumbai or somewhere like that, and you hear someone mention the word PPI. If you hang on that call for a couple of seconds more and give away any of your personal information, you know what you're getting yourself into. Don't we? These guys know what we're trying to do. Let's not take them for suckers. Let's not take them for easy targets. Let's understand and realize God's calling them and he's putting that, you're putting that stone in their shoe where it's just not, life's not right. And then you maybe bring them to something and then you bring them along to someone who's got an amazing testimony to share. It's not a Bible study about end times or anything like that. It's a story of transformation. Of God, he saves God who takes all our mess and all our sin and took it on the cross for himself and sets us free. And not only that, he calls us his sons and urged his kingdom and allow that to settle and wrestle in him. And slowly but surely, through time, through getting a bit creative with some of the stuff that you do, I'm a big believer. You take a bunch of guys on a walk up a hill or a mountain, you'll achieve so much more than what you will sitting talking to them in a meeting. Because real conversations break out. Real life stuff happens. You get around a campfire and you just know God's going to do something and speak into the middle of it when you're in creation. And all of a sudden, before you realize it, the bobs in your life, just there. And after a long battle, it's worth the fight. It's worth the battle. It's worth hanging in for. And if we're going to see transformation in our island and in our nation and in our culture and in our society, the majority of that's going to come through reaching men. And I know right now you're looking at me and already in your head you're thinking about God's already putting names and faces and situations right into your heart. And we just can't stop there. It needs to be more. We want to disciple more. We want to help men become accountable and to become brothers together. And that's why we're so privileged and thrilled to have the guys from Cave Time here because they have got something so unique that you're going to hear about in the next session with Jeff about men coming together and that moment of just getting real, getting around the word, having worship together, having real talk together, and then going on a mission, going after the lost, going after the broken, being a wall for the, 
for the girls in our lives, for the women in our lives, a wall of protection. And to be honest, we have been in our battles just to get here. And I've had to fight for everything I hold dear. I've had two years of personal hell. But there are men in this room who have stood by me like you would never believe it. Anyone else could have walked away and said, no, this isn't for me. And they stood with me shoulder to shoulder. They picked me up whenever I got down. And they let me know that God wasn't finished yet. And when it came to Nehemiah, a couple of people start talking about the wall. They realized that they're on to something. Sanbala and this other crazy numpty start saying, even a fox walking across that wall would make it all fall apart. And immediately it just takes one voice and the people start to murmur. Whoa, we've got to give up. This isn't it. We can't do it. Oh my goodness, they realize what we're going to do. Just like the children of Israel. <laughs> Moses leads them out of captivity into freedom, into freedom. The first sight of the Egyptians, you should have left us to die in Egypt. This is hopeless. Then God steps in. And then Nehemiah steps up. And I love the way he phrases this. To remember the Lord who is great and mighty, and glorious, and awesome. Various different translations say it there. But to remember him. Let's stand to your feet. We'll come to your close. I want you to remember. I want you to remember a God who is great and mighty. I want you to remember a God who loves you. I want you to remember him. I want him to, I want him to you to open your heart and your mind and your situations and your life and your everything that you have as a, you are as a man and to lay it on the table in front of him today. That regardless of what the cards are stacked against you, that with Jesus on your side, every single time I'm all in. I don't care what anyone else has got. If I've got Jesus in my, my hand, I'm all in. Whatever it takes, whatever the cost, no matter how hard it might get, I'm all in. So we remember, first of all. And some of you, you really need to remember hard. Remember that time when God first saved you? set you free. I wonder how that felt in your life. Wow. Like a weight was gone. Like a kid again. 
bouncing your step. Maybe now life's got you where you just feel you've got knife after knife after knife in your back. You're just slouched over. You just don't know what to do. So like the psalmist would say, I would say to you, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Don't be slouched over with shame stabbed in your back, with guilt stabbed in your back, with blame stabbed in your back, with false words said about you stabbed in your back. Lift up your eyes. And remember the Lord who is great and he is glorious and he is mighty and he is awesome and he is calling each and every one of us as men, as husbands, as fathers, as sons, as grandfathers, to give everything that we have to him. To be every man, every day, everywhere, and to fight. Sometimes you just can't say fight like fight. Sometimes we need to be fighting. Pete, in his rugby career, had to went in to attack head on with a prop from an opposing team with that kind of meek and mild, oh, I hope I go in here and I get this. He's going to get injured. He's going to get wrecked. But we would go in with all our might and with all our energy into the enemy and we fight huh. for our brothers, for our wives. So across this room, can we just pray? Can we pray for the men in our lives that we know God's calling us to go out and reach? And that might take years. And we're, we're ready for strategy. We're ready to, to partner with you. We have a free network that you can join as a group, whether you're a local work group or you're a church group. We want to partner with you for free. There is no cost involved. Whatever it takes to reach the men in your community, we are all in with you. You are not on your own. I want to champion the guys who, in churches and uh, groups all across this land who are trying to lead men because that is a lonely walk. Some of you are sitting here today because someone tortured the life out of you to be here. Because they came last year or they came the year before and they're like, oh, I'm going, I'm getting all the men in my life to come here because I know God's going to show up and do something. Maybe you need to go and give that guy a high five and a hug after this. And thank him for torturing you. Because that is a lonely walk. But we are here to champion those guys. We're here to champion you in your everyday life. So let's pray as we close. Father, right from the very beginning, we want to surrender to you afresh. Fighting begins with surrender. By surrendering everything that we are to you, everything we are in our lives as men here today, we give to you, Lord. For those of us who are far from you, Lord, reach in and remind us of that day you first saved us. Kindle that fire again. Breathe fresh life into our homes, into our faith, into our marriage again, Lord. Lord, as we go for coffee, we go with a spring in our step and to fight for the men in our lives and our communities.
So, Lord, we pray you bless the food, you bless everything that goes on here today, and we give you all the glory for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.